The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, it's almost back to school. Can you believe that? August 1st is Wednesday. That's too crazy, guys. Where in the world did July go? Uh, it's going to be snowing before we know it. Uh, but a teacher was trying to get her fifth grade class to buy a copy of the class picture. Didn't you hate those taking pictures when you were a kid? Anyone else? No one else? Wow. I'm glad you love pictures. Thank you for being honest, some of you. But, you know, she's trying to get these kids to buy a class picture. You know, fifth grade class pictures are super important, right? They're so important. And she said, just think how nice it would be to look at this when you're all grown up and say, you know, uh, you know, Jennifer, she's a lawyer, you know, Michael, he's a doctor, you know, Jim, he's a, he's a backhoe operator. But that class clown in the back of the, uh, the, the class said and rang out in a loud voice, but teacher, we're going to look at your picture and say, look, and there she is, she's dead, as it is. <laughs> And, of course, he had detention for the whole rest of the week after that, as it was. So, you know, I'm grateful that our master teacher, Jesus Christ, is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. And no matter what picture you take of him, it's always going to be one of triumphant glory. Because we need to remember that is a reality check for us. While we will someday pass away, no matter if it's a fifth grade picture or, Lord willing, our last picture many years on, is that our master teacher, Jesus, is he who was, who is, and who has always been. And that is that his teaching, too, will be forever and the one we look to. I mean, don't you love that our, our Lord's words continue on? Don't you love that we have the Word of God preserved for us, completely inerrant, inspired, infallible, authoritative, sufficient? Throw all the theological words at it because it's all true. This isn't a secondary book. It's not a, it's not a bestseller book that goes on one week and off the next. This is the Word of God. And our words of our Lord live on forever. And wherever the truth is taught, this is the most pure truth. My wife and I were watching an old uh, uh, show last night. And the, the title doesn't matter. It's an old Harrison Ford action movie. And it's about politicians. And one of them lies here. And one of them lies there. And we're like, man, this just makes your head hurt thinking about all the lies they have to tell. But the great news is Jesus never told one lie. When he taught in the synagogues, in the mountains, in the boats, on the road, in the upper room, wherever he was, he raised his people up in the truth. And with that truth comes great responsibility. Malachi 4.6 says about this God, about this Christ, that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That through the teaching of God's word, through the master teacher himself, that we would know more about him. But in the passage today, as we continue our way through Mark, this master teacher, the one who lives on forever, he is beginning his journey to the cross. And school is now in session, and he's going to open his mouth, and he's going to teach again. He's going to do that over and over and over to his disciples. Friend, if you're a Christian here today, you are a disciple. A disciple is someone who is a student or a learner, that they are always ready to get new information. And if you're a true believer, you are a disciple here today. 
You will always be a disciple till the day you breathe your last. But you and I are students of the great teacher, Jesus. And as long as one is a disciple, we will continue to learn. If you're 89,000 years old here today, and some of you feel that way today, or if you're as new as Seth is with his big belly up front here, you are supposed to learn more about Jesus Christ. Amen? I love Fifth Sundays because our kids get to come in with us, right? That's a blessing as it is. But at some point, we have to remember this master teacher requires us as disciples to go out into the world and take these teachings he's given us and share it with others. But at some point, obedience to Jesus is going to take you some places, to some people, to some situations that are going to turn you 180 degrees from what you want. Will you follow him anyway? Did you come to Jesus to get something from him or to offer yourself to him? And do you want something from Jesus or do you just want Jesus? These are questions the disciples will have to answer today. Our big idea today is, it, it, this is our summary of the sermon, if you will, the direction we're headed is simply this, is that when you become a true Christian, I put that word true there because you're not a Christian if you just go to church, if you, if you just simply join a membership role, you're a Christian if you repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you become a true Christian, a disciple of Christ, you don't become his helper. He becomes your helper to do all his will. And oh boy, that's a huge difference, church. Because if Jesus is just another thing that you get just to help you with life so you can do most of the work and he just does a little bit over here, that's the wrong perception. Because this teacher, this master teacher, as us as disciples, reminds us that he is the one that saved us. You know, Jesus didn't just uh, clean you up, disinfect you, Lysol you down and put you on a shelf. Jesus cleaned you up, so to speak, to put you back into service for him, for his kingdom, for his glory, not for our kingdom, not for our glory. And sometimes as we do this, we need a reality check from this master teacher because class is in session. So this morning, three surprising reality checks for Christ followers. Say that five times fast. I tried it. It didn't work. So there it is. You hear it once. First is this. As you follow this master teacher, you are under orders. And sometimes those orders are going to stink because that's not what you want. But I guarantee you they're better than what you'll ever get. Secondly, I want you to see that as you follow this master teacher obediently to do his will, that you will never, ever outgrow the basic truths of Scripture. And thirdly, you will be surprised by what comes your way. But praise God, he is never surprised at what comes his way. I want to remind you that Jesus last week was transfigured before the people. His glory shone out probably in the middle of the night. And, and he's going to tell them here and allow them to question him a little bit. But Jesus does that weird thing again. He tells them, you can't tell anyone what you just saw. How do you not tell anyone, Jesus? Verse 9, that doesn't make any sense. But as obedient followers, they're going to start to question and say, what does he mean by this? But notice that as Jesus goes through this passage today, he's giving them authoritative, provocative, empathetic, and clear teaching from God's Word. Jesus isn't going to go up to them and say, how did you feel when I shown my glory today? Were you happy? What was your emoticon? What was your, what was your meme that you might throw out if you're a Facebook or, or social media person? As if their spiritual feelings directed them. What he did say is this, as the teacher, 
from what did you get from the truth I shared with you? Because as my disciple, that truth will go with you wherever you go. Friends, school is now in session today, and if you were in Sunday school, you took a 79-question quiz. Amen? Thank you, Nelson, for the 79-question quiz that we had. But the Lord is instructing us to remember that when He speaks in His Word, it is authoritative to us to go and be His disciples. With that in mind, if you'll join me, if you're able this morning, in honor of God's Word, as we stand and read just four verses this morning, Matthew 9, 9 through 13, as we wrap up the section here about the transfiguration. Hear God's word this morning. And as they, that's, the, that's the, the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, were coming down the mountain, he, that's Jesus, charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might actually mean. And verse 11, and they asked him, why do the scribes say that, that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does not come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? And verse 13, but I tell you that Elijah has come. They did, not, they did to him whatever they pleased, as is written of him. As we gather today, let me remind you, the Lord is speaking in this word, and I want you to know that these are reality checks as disciples of Christ we need to be reminded of. On a rainy day, on the fifth Sunday, July 29, 2018, this morning. Will you pray with me as we go before our Lord? Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for just allowing us to be here together. Lord, we don't take for granted the freedom that we have in this country to, to assemble, but even if we were in a country where we could not meet openly and publicly, uh, Father, freely, Lord, we thank you for that blessing, as, as probably most uh, believers around the world are facing even this morning. But we thank you that all true churches and all true gospel preaching this morning were united around one cause, that while we were yet sinners, you sent forth your son, born of a virgin, born under the law, at just the right time to redeem us who were under a curse so that you, your son, would take all the wrath we deserve, would be buried, would be dead, but resurrect on that third day. Father, that is the cornerstone message. Father, we know that in our hearts. We pray that that is reality in our lives, day after day, by your Spirit. Be with our brother uh, Derek as he's preaching last minute at another church. Be with our brother Nathaniel as he's continuing to preach at another church uh, as, as they work out that relationship to see what you may have. Father, thank you so much. We pray these things today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, if we're going to follow this master teacher, Jesus Christ, we must remember that there are surprising realities. You say, surprising? Well, Darren, some of these I already know. Yes, you do, but sometimes we need to be reminded of them. Uh, this is such a superficial thing, but as I was writing this this week, the Royals were in the midst of losing another game, and I checked their record and said, oh my golly, have they really lost that many games? And the answer is yes. I knew they were losing. I just didn't know how bad they were losing. That's a superficial example. How much more do we need to be reminded of basic truths of our faith as we go through? So reality check number one, I want you to see in verse 9 the demand that Jesus made and that we are under orders, but God's plans are better than our own. You notice there in verse 9 that Jesus comes down from the mountain and they receive a command. In fact, he tells them, your, your Bible may say he charged them, he commanded them, and that until the Son of Man had risen from the dead, they have to keep silent. 
Now, if you go back up to verse, you may remember this last week, you go back up to verse 6, Peter did not know what to say, right? You remember that. Peter, the guy who's always talking, was silenced for a moment. But in this moment, especially, Jesus tells them, do not tell anyone what you just saw. That is, that is almost like telling a new mama, you can't post that new picture on Facebook of that pretty new baby that you have. How many mamas are going to follow that truth? But I want you to remember here that this is Jesus the Lord, the master teacher, telling them that they must do this. Why did he tell them this? I mean, again, why did Jesus say, I mean, good, any PR is good PR, right? You always say it takes one bad review to turn people against you, but one good review goes out even faster than others. Hey, do you know this restaurant down the street? It's really good, and, and more people will come. But if you tell a really bad review about a restaurant, it's going to be disliked so many times, it's not even funny. So why did Jesus say this? I mean, this is all good stuff, because he knew these men were not ready. They still were not ready to speak of what he had. They would only begin to understand the, the cross and the victory of the resurrection after it actually happened. Then his glory and his transforming glory would be understandable to them. They had orders. That's a surprising reality to them. I mean, they are so excited. We saw Elijah. We saw Moses. And yet, Jesus, I cannot go talk about these people. What? Jesus, come on now. And the Son of Man will appear again. You, you notice that title, Son of Man? We've, we've talked about this before, but that goes back to Daniel chapter 7. That's a reminder that Jesus is the coming Lord of glory and will, will inherit everything as a prize for his sacrifice. But first he must suffer, and first he must die. And again, he issued the order. It is a command of Scripture. Friends, when we have commands of Scripture, they are always all wise for us. This is why when we do things as a church, we go back to what the Bible says, right? We do that because we want to know what God said. We don't want to know what so-and-so preacher said, what so-and-so DR period, PhD, study the Bible, never let a church over here said in reality. We want to know what the words of God said. It doesn't mean those two are always wrong, but what does the word of God say? And he knows, this God, that the expectation of the people is they want a military conqueror. They know, he knows, Jesus does, if they go out and disobey his order, even though they, they, they want to do that, that they will start something prematurely that is not meant to be started. They have already had attempts made to make Jesus king. Do you remember when Jesus healed various people that we said if they were Baptists, they would have already had the building committee, the building fund, and they would have already laid the foundation for everything that they had. And so Jesus has come not to be a king of politicalness, but a savior from sin. And if this vision had been taken to the people, they would rush around Jesus and say, we want you to be our king. But that's not the Jesus that they had. So here's reality check number one. You've seen it up on the screen. Is that the Lord is good and his plans are for you and your good. But his definition of good is not the same definition you have as being good. Church, for many of you in the last couple weeks, as I've talked with you, and I think it's quite honest, and I appreciate the honest feedback, many of you said, well, how do we ever replace a man like Gilbert? And we're just getting to know him. We two years, and God has already called him on. How in the world? God, what are you up to? You know what? Sometimes I don't know the answer to that. 
I wish that we had a red phone in our, our office that we could pick up and say, hey, God, got a question from the congregation here. Can you help fill in these details? But that's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. In fact, we are simply called to be faithful. Let me remind you again, church, our church is not going to be judged on our seating capacity. Our church is going to be judged on our sending capacity. Our church is going to be judged not by how many people. Look, the gospel itself is not the diving board. You just get your Jesus flu shot. The gospel is the pool by which we swim in. And right now as a church, we are swimming in gospel ministry in our neighborhoods, in our homes, everywhere we go. And I praise God that Gilbert and Amber didn't say, we want to stay because it's more comfortable. They said, let's go because that's where God is calling us to go. And the same is true for you wherever God may put you. These disciples wanted to speak. They wanted to go share. You won't believe what we just saw. We saw Elijah. We saw Moses. And Jesus was like brighter than the sun. No one can, no one can uh, launder their clothes as white as he was. But their definition of good and Jesus' definition of good was not on the same level. Church, our church may go through transition plans that are different than even what the pastor or the leadership team wants at times, but we just simply say, yes, Lord. Do you remember when Samuel walked through the uh, little baby Samuel, probably three years old, toddler Samuel, preschooler Samuel, and he, was, he kept hearing his, his name called in 1 Samuel 3, you may remember this, and he went to, to, um, he went to uh, I can't even think of his name right now, uh, Eli, thank you. He went to Eli, and he said, Eli, did you call me? No, go back and sleep. And this happened several times. And Eli, being the priest, said, prophet said, just say, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. Friends, so often we try and make ministry out of things that God hasn't called us to make ministry out of by simply being disobedient to the clear commands of Scripture. Look, they could have gone out and said, man, this happened, and, and it would have been true but their command was not to go out until Jesus had risen from the dead. Beloved in Christ, God never has any evil thought about you. He never has any of that. All His desires for you, all His plans for you, all His work in you are perfect in every single way. It's tough. My son's already ready to go home. we still got two more points to go. <laughs> Thank you for your patience. I thank you for a church that we can have our kids in service and we can teach them how to sit and everything else. Thank you for your patience. We know that is hard. So even for adults, that's hard. So thank you. But I just want, look, we should think, we should consider, we should plan. We'd be dumb if we, we didn't, right? But as a church, there may be times, as individuals, as families, there may be times where, where, where you want to go here, but God just simply says, go over here and do what I tell you. And, and we don't get the answer why. We just got to sit back and say, yes, Lord, your servant is listening, and that's got to be enough. But no matter how unexpected or hard, his plans are always right, they're always true, and they're always good. That's the first reality check. Notice number two, the second reality check, that these disciples would never outgrow the basic truths of Scripture as they follow this master teacher to do his will, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. It says, so they, they that's P again, Peter, James, and John, the inner disciples, first tier, they kept the matter to themselves. They obeyed. Praise the Lord, right? That's great. But they questioning what this might mean. Now, let me just say a quick word here. There are times when God leads you and He calls you that you obey, but it doesn't mean as a human, it's, it's, not, okay, it's not sinful to say, Lord, can I try and figure this out? 
it is sinful to the point where you're trying to figure it out takes over your lack of obedience. I hope you see that definition of difference. If God tells me to go share the gospel with my neighbor, well, well, God never told me to go share the gospel. Well, he said, go, go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's a command. But if I simply say, well, maybe God wants me to, maybe God wants me to talk to this person too, but not this person right now. You follow wherever God leads you, wherever that is. As hard as it is, wherever it is. That's what happens. They do two things. They, they keep it to themselves, and they question it at the same time. They wouldn't be human if they didn't do it. But I'm amazed, as I study this, I'm amazed they obeyed it. I mean, quite honestly, you just saw the, the bright Shekinah glory of God, and you're not going to go tell a soul? Guys, they're getting what it means to be a disciple. That's awesome. That's growth in grace right there. They certainly had a place in their theology for the doctrine, but they expected it so much longer. So they questioned it. Literally, they, they, they seized it. They latched onto it like a leech latches onto someone in the water. And just They wouldn't let go until they got the answer to the question. And they, they questioned what this dead might mean. I mean, he told them at the end of verse 9 that they had to wait till he was resurrected. So they're trying to figure out what this is. Not the concept. Let me be very clear here. They believed, the disciples did, that Jesus, uh, that Jesus had already raised people from the dead. We know there's a young girl in Mark 5. Uh, we know that there is Lazarus in John 11. There's a couple other instances. But specifically, they didn't understand about why Jesus had to be resurrected. I mean, he's going to live, right? He's going to be the king. So no one can be raised from the dead who's not already first, well, dead. So they're obeying, but they're trying to figure this out. I mean, is Jesus saying that he actually is going to die? I mean, can you imagine what it would be like if your favorite teacher, preacher, whatever, your, your best friend told you that, you'd be, calling, you'd be calling rightfully probably suicide prevention quickly and thinking, this guy's off his rocker. In their mind and understanding, they're going to Jerusalem where Jesus is going to usher in the kingdom. He's bringing it down, slam dunk, and they're going to sit at his right and on his left, and they think that's right now. But Jesus says that's not the case. Go back to Mark 8.31. Just look back just a half a page over. Look at Mark 8.31. This isn't the first time he's told them this, remember. It's been at least a week and a half since this time, but he began, 831, to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. I want to remind you that that word that he told them in Mark 831 was a continual thing. Just like you tell your kids, sit down, quiet, do this, do that. Wouldn't it be nice if you told them one time and they listened for the rest of their lives? That'd be great. That's not how it works. That'd be great. But the basic truth of the heart of the gospel, but they could not get their arms around it. So this thing, you'll never outgrow the basic scripture, reminds us they had a preconceived notion of what they wanted. They would not let go of it, and it prevented them from hearing and seeing. Oh, but they're thinking. Look at verse 11. And they asked Jesus, saying, well, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah first must come. So, why would they ask this? Because they're thinking. Remember, they're questioning it. They're latching on to this truth. They want to know, Jesus, why is this the case? Because they just saw Elijah on the mountain. And if, you're, if you're like, okay, 
going to step on some toes here. If you chase every red moon that comes down the case when it comes out because Jesus come back with that red, be very careful. We need to be careful with signs and wonders. Jesus tells us when things come. But remember, the basic truth of Scripture is we know not the day or the hour. And if someone tells you they know the day or the hour, you run from them. Just like last week we said you run from them. If they say they, they, that Jesus isn't God, you run away. And these guys got more insight than most people. They saw Elijah. And in their minds, this is it. It's happening. They saw not only Elijah, but Moses. They're more confident now. So then why did Elijah come first? And you, Jesus, have to die and never... What? What What are you saying, Jesus? Because Elijah is expected to come back. Friends, we too can stumble over basic truths of Scripture because we have our own ideas about the kingdom of God. When we hear the words Christ and His hard saying, sometimes it's hard. Let me be very clear here. Jesus is going to say that the question they have, they are absolutely correct. They got part of the puzzle right. But the other part about him coming back from the dead, they still don't get. Look, if you're here today, reality check number two is simply this. If you're not growing in Christ, you are growing in self. And sometimes, like these disciples, you can latch on to a certain part of Christian theology and major in the minors when everything's important and miss the whole boat. End Times Prophecy fills this bill so much. I've read the Left Behind series books. I've read them from cover to cover, from 1997 to, to April 15, 2006. Yes, I know, it was tax day. That's why I read a book, because I figured I had nothing else to do. I didn't have any money to give, so I just read a book anyway. It was. I've read the books, read those things. Look, I have friends who are pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-millennial, all-millennial, you name it, all the great things, and they are, not all of them, but some get so focused on the, the, when Jesus is coming back, they don't relish the very fact that there are people here who need Christ, there are people, things, and these disciples are so hyper-focused on this one thing that they miss the big picture. Christian, for some of you, that could be, that could be just simply and I mean this for all it's worth, that could be so much of studying theology. For, that doesn't hit everyone in this room, but you could get so much in your books that your books become your God. That it's good truth, but you only want this truth and you don't want the whole truth of Scripture. Friend, may we never forget that we never outgrow the truths of Scripture. The whole picture these disciples had, were so hyped up, they were so revved up to see the glory of Jesus. They obeyed Him to a point, but now they just said, well, Jesus, just tell us when it's coming. But they forget that the whole picture hasn't been done. They don't want to accept that. And if you're here today and you're growing in Christ, then you aren't growing in self. You know you're growing in Christ when you thank God not only for what He gives you in Scripture, but also what He withholds. Sometimes God doesn't give you the whole picture because He wants you to trust Him even when things don't make a whole lot of sense. If you're growing in grace, you're growing in holiness, you're growing in, in, in all these things, then you are growing in ways that God wants you to grow. But friend, can I remind us, it is, is it okay to study a subject very in-depth? Yes, please don't misunderstand me. The point I'm trying to make is that you'll never outgrow the basic truths of Scripture. You say, well, I just, going back to what Nelson said in Sunday school, well, I'm not gifted that way, therefore I don't have to serve that way. That's, that's not a good biblical thing to have. 
well, I don't have to love my neighbor in the church because I'm just over here sharing the gospel all the time, and oh, who cares about them? I'm out here. That's not true either. Evangelism is super important, and we need to do it, but also so is growing in Jesus Christ. Coming together, forgiving one another, not gossiping about each other, not breaking the backs, encouraging one another, exhorting one another until the day comes. These are all basic truths of Scripture. I fear for many churches to get so hung up on one part of the Scriptures to a point where they disregard the commands of other parts of Scriptures. I hope that makes sense. These disciples were fixated like a baby on a bottle. And all they wanted to do was drink the milk of the milk that they thought was best for them. But Jesus says, guys, reality check, I'm going to expand you out, to round you out, to be better disciples, more God-glorifying disciples for me. Look, healthy things grow, right? You come see our yard, it's not growing much these days, amen? The weeds are going to be higher than the grass is right now, tomorrow at this time, and that sun peaks out. But if you're growing here today, know this. You'll never outgrow the most basic truths of Scripture. If you don't know everything about what you believe, that's all right. Come talk to us. We want to equip you. But don't get so fascinated on one thing that you miss what God's doing in the big thing. That's why we talk about the gospel so much around here. Because Jesus isn't just ABCs. Jesus is the A to Z, the Z to A, and everything in between. Amen? And that's what we believe. Close with this. Number three. You've seen that, that... Three surprising realities that we're under orders and his are better than our plans. We'll never outgrow the most basic truths. But thirdly, I want you to see the doctrine Jesus taught, what all this means. And you'll be surprised by what comes your way. But he's never surprised. Look back at verse 12. So he said to them, Elijah does not come first to restore all things, or does come first to restore all things rather. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, and it is written of him. All right, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about here? What are you doing? He agrees with the scribes. Let me just say this right off. Jesus says there is truth sometimes when people speak the truth. Satan often takes one kernel of truth and twists it up enough so it looks really bad. Does that make sense? And so when it comes to this, he's affirming that the Jews got this right, that Elijah does come first. And there must be two things that Elijah does. You notice there, there are two verbs that are used here. He calls here in verse 12, he says that, or verse 11, excuse me, verse 12, he says that Elijah must come and do two things. He must first come, and he must first restore. So what is Jesus saying about this coming that is, he's speaking of? Well, Elijah does come. He, he came before the Messiah, but he also must restore. Once he comes, he will reconcile spiritually all things. So they kept the matter to themselves, it says, but then what does this mean? What is he talking about? Well, I'm going to read for you some scriptures. You can write them down for sake of time. You can look these up later. But these verses that he's referring to, what Jesus is speaking of here, goes back to Luke chapter 1, verses 15 and 17. You can listen or turn there if you like. It says in Luke 1, 15 to 17, about what Jesus is saying, for he will be great before the Lord. And he's speaking of John the Baptist. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he, John the Baptist, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, 
to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Who's this Elijah? Is it literally Elijah? The ministry that God is speaking of here is a ministry that was fulfilled by John the Baptist. You remember John the Baptist came and he rushed in. It's just, man, he cleaned house quickly. But what he is saying and what Jesus is teaching is it's not a teaching of reincarnation that, Je- that, that, that Elijah has to come back from the dead. What he's saying is there must be a forerunner that comes before him and says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's exactly what John the Baptist did. And what Jesus is telling these disciples is also alluded to in John chapter 1, verses 21 and 23. You, you can write that down and hear clearly. And they asked him then, what then? Speaking to John the Baptist, the Pharisee speaking to John, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. So they said to him, who are you? We have to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John the Baptist said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And one more scripture, Matthew 11, 10 through 14, Matthew 11, 10 through 14, Jesus speaking, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet who he is the least in the kingdom is greater than he. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, heaven has suffered violence, and violence took it by force. For all the prophets of all the law and the prophets prophesied until John. And here's what Jesus says, listen clearly, if you're willing to accept it, he, referring to John the Baptist, he is Elijah who is to come. So what is Jesus saying here? Because these verses can be very, very misunderstood. What Jesus is saying, guys, in verse 12 is that, yes, disciples, you got part of this right. John the Baptist had to come. Elijah, in the spirit of Elijah, had to come. You got that right. But once again, let me clarify, Jesus tells them, what is happening. If the Messiah had such a powerful prophet before him, why will this Messiah be treated any differently? Why would I, the Messiah, not suffer less or even worse than what John the Baptist had to suffer? Because remember, in their minds, Jesus cannot die. He'll never die. Many churches hold pastors to this esteem. This is one reason why we spread the love of preaching here. This is not the kingdom of Darren Christopher Smith. This is the kingdom of God that each of us is equipped to do as we go out into the world and share the gospel. Do you see that? And what Jesus is telling them is, look, you guys are missing the point. I have to die. I have to suffer. In Genesis, to fulfill what was spoken to Satan. In Psalm 2, that was prophesied. Psalm 22. In Isaiah 53, that I would be despised and rejected disciples. And in Zechariah 12 and verse 3, that we would mourn for him as the one and only son. What is Jesus saying? Disciples, you've missed it again. John the Baptist came in the power of Elijah. You got that right. But more so, you need to get right that I have come to make all things right. Do you see the unchanging purposes of God here, church? Do you see what God has done? Jesus is the Lamb of God, it says in the New Testament, slain before the foundation of the world, that this is God's plan A, and they want it to be God's plan Z. 
They want Jesus to not do this, and even in the apparent defeat that would come, they want nothing of it. And Jesus says, do you think I have to suffer, verse 12, anything less? You talk about a surprising reality. I mean, guys, what if, I, I, what if any pastor got up here and said, tomorrow I'm going to die? Darren, did you run too many miles and you keeled over one time? Is that about right? Amen. Did you eat too much pizza this time around? Why are you dying? What are you talking about? Can you imagine how these disciples felt when Jesus kept hammering at home, I have to die, I have to die, I have to die. And verse 13, he answers the question. Look at that again. But I tell you, Elijah has come, referring to John the Baptist, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. You remember back in Mark chapter 6 that John the Baptist was beheaded, and it took that beheading for his disciples to really connect the dots. And friends, what a reminder to us today that if you are to serve Jesus, that the cross will always precede the crown. That walking if in your faith, if there is no cross to bear, there's no crown to wear, if you want to use the old dead guys. There's no Christianity without the cross and no cross, no crown without a cross. Jesus tells these disciples, if you are going to follow after me, if you're going to take up your cross and follow after me, then not only do you have to follow what John the Baptist did, but you also have to follow what I have for you. That's where this reality point comes in. You will always remember and be surprised by what comes your way, but God is never surprised. Many of you are wearing the crosses, so to speak, of what God has done for you in laying on you burden after burden after burden after burden. And if you're not human, you would never say, if you're not human, you say, oh, God, keep it coming. That feels really good. Kind of like when, they, when you work out and they put another 100 pounds on both sides, like, yeah, keep it getting No one ever says that unless they're crazy, right? We are not masochists. We do not believe that we suffer just to suffer for Jesus. But there are times when God, it seems, just keeps laying on the weight and the weight and the weight of things. And in these disciples, he's reminding them of the, of the gospel plan, but the application goes even deeper than that. That as Christians, God will lay on you more than you can bear. I don't care what the Hallmark card says that says, oh, God will never give you more than you can bear. Hogwash, you've been there. You are there. You will be there. Friends, God always puts on you more than you can bear. How do you think this felt for the disciples? Jesus, you're going to die. Stop talking that way. Stop. Just stop. You know, talk to the hand, the faces, the lips, whatever. Jesus, stop it. Guys, when you are called, you will be surprised by what comes your way. But praise God, he's never surprised by what comes your way. Amen? When God lays on you a burden, as these disciples felt the burden of their, their belief system still being brought into check, Jesus had great grace for them. You notice here at the end of the passage, it, 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 he doesn't rebuke them. He rebukes them some, but he, he lets it stand. Suffering before his exaltation is what the way of the cross will be. Friends, we must, not, we must too deny ourselves and follow after Christ no matter what comes our way. No matter if we understand, no matter if we, we, we can sketch out the things that come our way. I would never have sketched out the way God has led our family at times. I would never have sketched out the way that God has purposed for our church to go in different directions. 
would never have purposed out for the way many of you have, uh, in good health, have gone through so much so quickly. But I praise God that whatever comes our way, it is enough for us to know He is in control. These disciples were shocked. They were obediently following. They were surprised. But at the same time, God faithfully reminded them time and time again that every desire was satisfied, every need was met, every pursuit found, and every affection was enjoyed in Jesus Christ. What a joy that is. Guys, we serve an awesome God, don't we? We do. We don't have to think twice about what Jesus did, but these disciples sure did. Let me just remind you, there is a false teaching out there. This is partly, uh, you know, this is why sometimes we do bring things up by specific names from the pulpit. There is a teaching very specifically out there called open theism. I've spoken about this before over the years. But open theism teaches that God works alongside you and learns with you as you go. In other words, God doesn't know the future, some people believe. They claim to be Christians. They just simply know that God will he'll work it out the best he can. It's kind of like going to a financial investor. Yeah, if you give us this much money, we're going to get you $5 million in return. Oh, really? Are you back to the future, Michael J. Fox? Is that how that works? Guys, we don't believe in a God who chooses and reacts to us. We have a God who is sovereignly, sufficiently, and clearly directs all things, Ephesians 1, Romans 9, Revelation, you name it, Isaiah, to the counsel and purpose of His will. That's why I'm excited about the future of our church, because I know that nothing that happens when, when, when as sad as it is for Gilbert to leave or whatever may come our way, as long as we are faithful to Him, we will be in good hands. Not all state, don't go that way. You can go with Allstate Insurance, that's fine, but Allstate's got nothing on the mighty, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent hands of our mighty God. And these disciples were shell-shocked, they were excited, they were confused, but all the way, Jesus is faithfully leading them the exact path they needed to go. Will you pray with me this morning as we close? Father, as we come before you this morning, we, we really are, Lord, in need of a reality check that, Lord, our plans may not always be what your plans are for us, but they're always better than ours. That, Lord, as we so get wrapped up in one section of Scripture, and, Lord, help us to be excited about deep truths. Help us to go deep and wide in our relationship with you. But, Lord, let us not miss the forest for the trees. Not, let us not major on minors. Lord, let us be consistently faithful in teaching the whole counsel of God's Word. And, Father, also, as these disciples saw that, Lord, at times... We don't know where to go. They didn't quite understand it all, as we don't even today. But you knew, and that was enough. And they learned that as they grew deeper and deeper with you. Father, as our helper, through your spirit, as promised in John 15, would you lead us as a church? Would you guide us? Would you give us wisdom as individuals, as families, young and old, parents, grandparents, singles, divorced, remarrieds, whatever? Lord, give us wisdom to live for you. It's not about us. It is about you. Father, we pray for many, many people to come to know Jesus Christ in our relationships, in our, in our church area, in our homes. Father, we also pray that you raise up mighty warriors, men and women of God here at Tower View to disciple, to grow, to share, to, to mobilize, to go wherever you would call us to go. 
For some, that's going to be in their, their, their own home. For others, that'll be the neighborhood. For some, that may be, as we sent out others to India and others this year, that may be to go to the ends of the world. But Lord, wherever we are, let us be faithful. Let us be true to your word. Let us know that you are able to take us where we need to go. And you are. We don't always understand, Lord, but thank you even when we don't. You do. That's enough. Thank you for Jesus. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.